Hey folks, this week on the show we have uh, King of the World, Matt Becker on. Uh, the audio quality is a little bit up and down uh, because he was driving from Saginaw Bay to the St. Lawrence River, so know that. Uh, but Becker just won the Bass Pro Tour event at Saginaw and then also won Ballybet Angler of the Year, so very cool, huge Sunday for him, and uh, we kind of talked about all of it. Uh, we really went kind of nitty-gritty and deep on some smallmouth stuff, which, you know, folks who listen know that I love to do that, uh, and Matt was here for it, and uh, then we talked some big picture stuff as well, so I think it was a uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good little interview, pretty good chat, and uh, I'm really happy for him, because uh, he had a really phenomenal season, and he's a guy who, you know, if you've watched him over the last few years, especially if you're uh you know, an FLW tour head, so to speak, uh, you knew that Becker, you know, could be that guy. He's uh, come from up north and excelled across the south a lot of times, and uh, we've seen him now put it together for a full season at the top level. So uh, congrats to Matt, and uh, here he is. All righty, we are joined now by the uh, reigning Ballybet Angler of the Year, and also Saginaw Bay champion, Matt Becker. Uh, Matt, congratulations on winning literally everything. You are the man. Thank you. That that was incredible. I mean, what a day. The, the one, you know, take down the greats of the sport, you know, beat Kevin Van Dam in this final tournament. I mean, that's something I'll hold on to forever. Not to mention get enough points to win Angler of the Year over Jacob Wheeler, who's won it twice in a row and about won it a third time in a row. I mean, incredible day. I, I still can't believe it. It it really was amazing. Um, I followed the tournament, like, moderately closely, but I had some other stuff going on. And then on Sunday, I watched live right in the morning when I got up, and then... I went out to, like, do some errands, do some chores, and then I, like, tuned back in, like, around lunch, and I was like, holy crap, what's happening here? Um, So it was just an amazing, I mean, it's not like you thought you were out of it necessarily. I mean, it's the Great Lakes. It's, the margins weren't really big, all things considered, but what, uh, what was that day like for you? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, championship day, you know, I, I started in an area where there was a lot of fish and, you know, there was a bunch of other competitors in that area. So there was a lot of pressure and the fish weren't really acting right, but I don't know. I just decided to start there again and really just wanted to get a couple bottom end fish, you know, a couple three pounders that I thought maybe I could use throughout the day. And I think I caught two in the two pound range and, and that was the entire first period. So two and a half hours and I only had two fish. I was sitting in last place, 10th place, at the, the first break and right before the intermission I, I made my way out to where I ended up winning the tournament an area out at out of the islands in Saginaw Bay where I caught them the, the day before and you know it was a different wind and, and totally different weather conditions so I wasn't really sure what was going to happen you know if there's going to be any fish there they're going to be set up but was pretty quick pretty early on in the second period 
I caught, I think it was a 312 was the first one I caught, and then then a 414. But when I caught that first 312, whenever I was reeling him in, a, a school of smallmouth just kind of appeared. I don't know if they oh, seen man. me, seen that fish fighting in or whatever, but I weighed that fish, I re-rigged my bait, I stood up on my trolling motor, and there was like 15 smallmouth sitting like right under my boat. And I was like, dream. oh, my gosh, like, yeah, this is, this is like, dream scenario. Like, this is exactly what you need to find. So I get lined back up, throw back in there, and catch a 414 out of this school. Okay, then, you know, deal with that one. I get a new bait on. I find them again. So they had, they had moved, I don't know, 20 feet away from the boat after I caught that one because those fish fought so hard at Saginaw that it was, it was taking me – three minutes to land a fish so by the time all that happened the fish had moved a little bit so i relocated them threw at them again and uh, i mean as soon as my shad shaped worm sunk down there another one ate it i set the hook and it just pulled off instantly like he just had the back half of the bait and it pulled the bait off the hook and that kind of spooked them a little bit it scattered them you know when you lose a, a fish like that it generally kind of spooks them off so I will, they just kind of swam off, and I was never able to locate them again for a little bit. So I just kind of meandered around the area and, and kept looking around, and I think I caught another one. But I ended up coming back to that area about an hour later, and that same group of fish was in that same exact spot. And I uh, was able to catch two or three more big ones and, and got up to 20 pounds pretty quick. Wow. Did uh, Could you ever tell what they were on? Because, like... I've found places before where I there seems like there are smallmouth there, and sometimes it can be over a week or a year, like consistently, multiple years. Where like this can be like a spot where a smallmouth likes to sit, and I have like side scanned over stuff and been like, I have no idea what they were on. Were they on something, or did they just seem like they were there? They were just there, like literally, there was nothing there, N- nothing on the bottom, just straight sand bottom. Like, no, no rock, no bait fish, no drop-off, no boulders, nothing. Like, all you take what, everything I knew about Great Lakes smallmouth and just threw it out the window because generally I'm looking for, like, a sharp drop-off or big boulders or something for those smallmouth to set up in. And these ones were literally just roaming around on this long, flat point. That's and crazy. I don't know why they chose that little area. I mean... They stayed within probably a hundred foot square the entire day. And I don't know if it was some kind of underwater current thing that I couldn't really see with my eyes or whatever, but obviously there was something that, that held them in that little zone because they would never leave. They'd always come back to that little zone and just, just be chilling in there somewhere. Huh. That's fascinating. And I mean, obviously, it's amazing you found it. You didn't have any inkling of that little zone when you went out there. Like, you were just like, hey, this might be a good area, and I've got to go find some fish and do something. Like, it wasn't like you drove to that waypoint because you caught one there in practice, right? No, not at all. So, I mean, this was a long tapering point. I mean, it was probably a, a mile long from the actual island. It was probably a mile from the island where the fish actually, where I caught them yesterday or, you know, the the championship round. But really, a quarter mile from that 
spot where the school was, I did catch one in practice. Literally, I had one smallmouth bite there in practice. It was a good one. I mean, it was probably a four-pounder, but I didn't really see any other fish. I just, just thought it was one random one up on this, this flat point. He was probably in, I don't know, 14 or 15 foot of water. Um, but that was that was Sunday, so, I mean, that was a week prior, the first day of practice. And, uh, you know, I, I, I planned on fishing it the first day of my competition, but the wind direction really wasn't ideal for that spot. It was going to be blowing really hard and pretty big waves crashing into there, and, and I just didn't make my way out there. So I, I stayed in a different area my first day of competition. And, I mean, I kind of struggled. I, I caught a few fish, but I was I was frustrated with it. And then I actually ended up switching to largemouth, which that, it hurts me to say I, I largemouth fish on the Great Lakes. But it was very important to win in this tournament because I caught just enough to, to slide into the knockout round, and then the weight zeroed. And with zeroed weights heading out, new weather conditions with light, lighter winds, and uh, I was like, I got to find some smallmouth somewhere. So I started in the same area where I fished the first day, fished there for about an hour or so. It wasn't really happening. And then I basically just started practicing again. You know, I had that spot where I got that one bite and practice in mind. I kind of hit a few spots on the way out there and, and ended up settling in there in the second period again in the knockout round and ended up catching like, I think, 18 pounds or, or 17, 14 in the knockout round in that area but to be totally honest i never went to the exact spot that i caught them in the championship round it was just a little bit further out than i went the day before so those fish may have been there the day before and i i just never went there and totally missed them but or they just set up there a championship day but i had literally one bite on that entire point in practice and I ended up winning the tournament there. It's just pretty crazy. It's uh it's pretty crazy, but it, it kinda shows like it goes to show that like one, it doesn't necessarily take a lot to clue someone in like you. Like to give you the, the pieces of the puzzle you need, right? Like you have a not that you're super old or anything, but you have a lifetime of experience on the Great Lakes, right? You're good at chasing yep. the smallmouth. You know how they behave, and you you knew enough. You had enough of a little itch in the back of your head to say, "Hey, I'm gonna, I need to slide out just this little bit farther. Maybe something happens." And it did, right? Like, yeah, it's so not some kind I was of pure luck. That thing. All week. No, no. I mean, it was in the back of my mind all week because, you know, when we got there for practice, we we had this a huge full moon it's some super moon in august i mean it's a giant full moon and and the full moon really affects the smallmouth in the great lakes you know one the gobies spawn every full moon throughout the summer so just that you know it definitely changes the behavior of the smallmouth because if there's easy pickings for for gobies that are spawning they're going to follow wherever they are so that's the first thing that happens and then as with all fish, I mean, it just totally changes their mood and, and pushes fish shallower, kind of spreads them out. So, you know, practice was really tough, but I was just kind of writing it up to that full moon and, and just, you know, looking a little bit shallower for the fish. 
<clears throat> but, you know, a week later, that moon, that full moon is gone, and those fish are starting to group back up and slide out a little deeper. So that's why, you know, definitely in the knockout round in the championship day, I knew I was going to have to look for a, a new group of fish that just showed up because I knew nobody else would have found them because they, they just showed up. And, and those fish that I ended up winning the tournament on, they were they were fresh as can be. I mean, if I saw one on live scope and put my bait in front of it, it went not even a question. It just went straight to it and ate. Whereas the other area I started the day in, there was a lot more fish there, but they were so highly pressured from all the boats finding them and fishing for them that you would probably have 10 bass look at your bait before one would eat it. So finding that fresh group of fish and, and just knowing, you know, the changing conditions and, and definitely that full moon affected the smallmouth, I, I knew that was going to be the key to win that tournament with smallmouth. All right, so we're going to turn this podcast into one solely about gobies. Now, what do you know about the goby spawn? I literally have never considered it before, and I feel like an idiot for not. What, what do they spawn on? Do they just spawn where they are anyway? Do they move somewhere to spawn? Tell me about this. <laughs> I wish I wish I knew. I, I don't know enough about it. All I know is they, they spawn every full moon in the summer. So I don't know if, if there's a certain depth they have to go to spawn, but, but generally it's in shallow water. You know, it's not going to be out in your 30, 30 40. 40, 50 feet of water. I mean, it's going to be 20 feet or less that, that they spawn in. I don't know the process. I don't know how it all works. I, I You know, we probably should look into that and learn a little more about the goby spawn but it, it definitely happens and i mean you, you'll even notice if if you actually pay attention when you're out on the water fishing during a full moon you get about 10 times as many goby bites on your bait than a, a regular day which to me that just means that you know there's more gobies around and, and they're, they're grouped up a little more so I, I wish i knew more about it i do but you know we don't fish the great lakes enough to, uh, or at least I don't fish them enough anymore to uh, fully understand it. But that's definitely a thing. All right. Well, that is fascinating, and uh, I'm going to look into that more. Um, that'll honestly probably be my mission this week. Uh, <laughs> maybe I can find someone who's really an expert on it. Um, yeah, I mean, surely one of the Great Lakes experts, you know, know what's up and You'll never hear anybody talk about it, but it's, but it's a thing for sure. It feels like a thing that, like, Dobson might know. Yeah. I don't know. It Maybe he's a yeah. little too shallow-oriented, a little, too, little more St. Clary, but it seems like, I don't know. I am I am definitely now curious. You've got, obviously, you've got well, my interest fully. <laughs> I know, but, but even going with that, I mean... You know, he always likes to fish shallower, so you could probably look at his results and, and see if they were around the full moon, and you could probably, you know, relate it to that one way or another. All right. We, we could do that. You're right. Um, yeah. You, one, could, you could dig deep into this. Yeah. Well, so while we're on the nitty-gritty, what are you running for your forward-facing setup for up north? Because I know you've kind of experimented back and forth with the pole mount versus the trolling motor mount. And I've watched you on live some, and I looked at a lot of pictures. And you're still, I think, a lot of times pointing the trolling motor head 
at your fish, which indicates to me you're not all in on the pole mount for your forward-facing stuff. So, what what exactly are we doing? Obviously, Steve Estes is a big deal, but what's the Matt Becker solution to this? Yeah, well, yeah, Steve he's got me hooked up with the best stuff in the business, no doubt. You know, Bass Fishing Electronics has it all in stock and, and ready to go, best prices in the industry. But my setup, I mean, I'm constantly tweaking. I'm constantly on the phone with Steve. I mean, Steve's just a wealth of knowledge. He knows everything about all, all brands and all units, what excels here and there. So I'm always talking to him and, and trying new things. You know, I've, uh, I've experimented with 360 and, and two live scopes and, and everything. But my current setup on my boat this week is so at the front of the boat, where all the, the work goes down. I got a Lowrance that I use basically just for map, my mapping and navigation and waypoint management. Um, I have a, a 2D sonar and a down imaging transducer for that as well, but most of the time I leave it unplugged just because I don't like it interfering with my live scope. So I'm pretty much strictly using live scope for, for all of my fishing needs. You know, I'm just staring at that screen. So I have a... 12-inch Garmin unit to the right of my Lowrance, and that has a live scope hooked up to it on the pull mount. So the pull mount is kind of specific when you need it. I mean, looking back this year, the only time it really benefited me extremely well was the Tennessee River at Gunnersville. I was able to spot lock with the current in one spot and then scan with the pull mount and find you know, the group of fish and get lined up on where I need to cast. As far as, you know, what we were doing here with smallmouth targeting big flats, I mean, I still like to run the live scope on the trolling motor head um, just because it's so much more efficient. I got my foot on the trolling motor. I can keep the speed of my trolling motor way up, cover so much water, and just constantly be scanning back and forth the entire time. So I have a second live scope mounted to the head of the trolling motor like i just mentioned i keep it down the prop so i want it as far down in the water as possible um, now both of those are the the live scope plus the lvs 34 and then i'm connecting that one to the it's an 8616 so it's a 16 inch garmin unit that I, I have on the top of my triple mount and that's the business one i mean that's the one i stare at all day that that gets the bulk of the use um and like I mentioned, I got it mounted on the head of the troll motor. I feel like that's really important. And just getting it installed properly just improves your reading so much. You're able to see your bait and see fish further. Uh, there's so many little tweaks with, with LiveScope that I've learned over the last couple of years. And it's not basically take it out of the box and throw it on your boat. and It's going to put fish in your boat. I mean, it definitely will, but to be really dialed in with it, it takes a lot of work and a, and a lot of little tweaks to get it perfect. So that's basically my setup. The 16-inch unit was something I, I bought for last year. So this is my second season running it, and I don't think I could go back. Um, you know, it, <laughs> everything, obviously, everything just shows up bigger on there. I mean, it, it takes a little bit of getting used to when you first change just because, you know, the size of fish look different on there. But, but once you use it for a little bit and get used to it, I feel like the screen is clear. 
obviously the screen's bigger, so everything's going to show up bigger. It's easier to see for you. It's easier to find your bait. All those things. So I'm in love with that setup. You know, I'm considering adding a another a third live scope to my trolling motor for next season in perspective mode that I can swap off and on just the plug in the back of the unit whenever I, you know, might need a perspective view in that shallower water or something, just because I, I do kind of miss my 360 in certain situations. But I don't know. We're, we're talking a lot of electronics on the boat now, and, and I mean, there's got to be an end at some point. Uh, yeah, I, the, specifically the end on my boat is that it would probably all fall off if I added any more weight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about... Um, yeah, the, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, the nose of the boats are getting so heavy now that we're going to start spearing more and more waves just because of the way all these units and transducers on the front of the boat. It's just adding too much. Um, what, uh, what I was going to ask was, have you fished on a northern river yet with your pole? You're, I know you're currently driving to the St. Lawrence, so I guess we'll find out. But, like, do you foresee that being a similar advantage the same way it was at the Tennessee River? Or are you not sure yet? I'm not sure yet. You know, I, I mean, I'm definitely interested in that. You know, one thing that I did start messing around with on the pole mount in, at, for the St. Clair tournament was I was run the live scope on the pole mount in the down mode and then still have the forward on my trolling motor. So you could use both of them. They didn't interfere that way. And, you know, on, on your forward live scope, a lot of times when the fish get within 10 feet of the boat, you kind of lose them just because of the way the, the beams are on the live scope. You don't really see them very well at 10 feet in front of you and 10 feet behind you under the boat. So running that one on the pole mount and down mode, I was able to find those fish that were, you know, that would get under the boat and hide a little bit. So I'll probably start with it in down mode at the, the St. Lawrence. That way, you know, I can see if one rises up off the bottom or anything whenever we drift over it and kind of go from there. You know, if I find a spot where I, I want to spot lock and, and sit in one spot, then definitely I'll be using that, that pole mount to uh, scan around a little bit. And uh, that, that's that. I, the pole mount's pretty cool. So it, it's a new one that just came out this year. It's, it's called Foresight Mount. Um, it's a it's an awesome mount. I mean, I put it to the test this year. I've been through some rough water, and it has held to the test without a stabilizer, without nothing. So it is rock solid, and uh, trust me, if I can break it, I will break it somehow, and I have yet to do that. So I am really impressed with it. Does it turn like with the trolling motor i know i think some do some have like a linkage and then there's like the minkota one obviously or the hummingbird one or is it you do you have to control it totally separately yeah it, it's controlled totally separately it's got a little foot foot pedal for it that basically just the right and left button and uh i mean it it steers very similar to a, a trolling motor so it, it honestly reminds me of like a Ford trex shaft that you mount the transducer on mm -hmm. and then uh just a little little motorized box at the top that, that steers it right and left that's pretty simple i mean it's uh it's it's a pretty simple design you know it just goes right and left you got a scan mode option that that you can uh 
put it in where it will scan left and right about 180 degrees constantly until you, you see something you like and then you tap the foot pedal again and it'll stop right where it was. But no, so it's a totally standalone unit. It doesn't connect to the troll motor at all or, you know, link to the troll motor at all. All right. All right. Um, how far out were you running your scope uh, usually? Um, I, I generally started at 100. Okay. I wasn't sure uh, if because of the know, 16 for, you could really like, expand and shoot longer or if that's still like 100 is kind of that sweet spot. No, I mean, I definitely can. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've ran it out to 140 before. I mean, I can – the problem is, is especially, you know, smallmouth fishing or with a drop shot, like I can only cast that thing about 90 to 100 feet on a – really good strong cast mm-hmm. so i i mean i i could see the benefit of you know maybe seeing a fish over there and then trolling the boat over to it but i just tried to stay in that 100 foot range just because i know if if i were to see something on there i could definitely make a cast and hit it if it's on the screen makes sense but makes the sense. way i've got mine set up i i could definitely see out further and and i've tweaked it to where i i mean i i've seen seen my bait at 120 feet sinks to the bottom wow um what uh you don't run the uh echo map units which are sort of like the touch screen you know snap on snap off like i feel like the real standard uh garmin units right why why not yeah. what's what is your you know because you could with the 12 inch uh what's your aversion to them or what's your What's what's your preference? You know, I've I've used all of them, and and honestly, I'm not sure that one's better than the other. You know, I I, I mainly wanted a, a 16 inch screen, and the only one they had was in the, the, G- the 86 the, 16, yeah, the, which the is GPS like, map one. Yeah, right. So that's kind of what led me that route, and then you know I did add the, another 12 inch unit this year, and. I don't even remember what model it is. It's the one with the knob on the side. It's a non-touchscreen unit. So, um, you know, between the two, obviously, I, I like the touchscreen model just because I feel like we're going back to 2003 without a touchscreen unit. Yep. And uh, it's it just, you know, switching between the two, it's a little weird to have to use the knob to switch through the menus. But as far as the screen and, and uh, the data that it displays, I mean, it, it's very similar. Okay. Now, have you considered going up to the 17-inch uh, or 22-inch or 24-inch GPS map? Cause yeah, why don't we just get a 30-incher? Well, I mean, why stop there? That's a great point. <laughs> You've convinced me. Uh, while, we're, while we're deep in nitty-gritty here, as far as um, your drop shot goes, you're throwing a shad shape worm. You have... Uh, won some big tournaments before on a shed shape worm too. Um, what a, what's your setup, and what about that bait has made it stand the test of time so much for you? Because I don't, I'm not saying it's a bad bait, but it's not the hot bait. Maybe it will be now, but what's uh, <laughs> what's the situation? Honestly, I mean, I have no idea what makes that bait so good. It it's literally been 
my go-to smallmouth bait for as long as I can remember, you know, for 15 years probably. Whenever I was going to Lake Erie's fishing tournament, I would just take shad-shaped worm, you know. I remember back when gulp was a thing, I had the gulp minnows, the gulp gobies, all this stuff, and I would just put on a shad-shaped worm, and, and they would catch just as much or more than the everything else. So it just kind of turned into a, a confidence thing where I'm like, okay, I know they'll eat this bait, so I'm just going to throw it. And it came a thing where I literally never had any other drop shot baits. It's strictly a shad-shaped worm. I mean, literally up until this year, I never owned a flatworm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Strict. Not even last year? You didn't two years ago? No. Wow. No. And I don't even know, to be honest with you, I don't even know why I got some this year because I never even opened them. I didn't even throw them. But I, I did buy some this year just for this tournament, just because I thought maybe, you know, the, the water would be a little dirtier. I might need a darker black color. It's the main, really, the, the only one I got was the black. That's uh, Just because they don't make wild. a shad-shaped worm in black. So, yeah, I, I, I've strictly been the shad-shaped worm, and that's just such a confidence state for me that I know if I put it in front of a small mom, he's going to eat it. Um, and, and that goes back years and years. I mean... I couldn't even tell you how much money I've won on the Shad Shape Worm. If, uh, you know, obviously the Toyota series that, that got me started and got me to where I'm at today, um, literally any any check that I've cashed in a smallmouth northern tournament, Champlain, um, St. Clair, Lake Erie, Thousand Islands, every one of those has been on a Shad Shape Worm. I mean, it, it is it's made me so much money and I just have so much confidence in it that it's just a no brainer. It's the only bait I'm putting on a drop shot for big smallmouth. Um, as far as my setup, I mean, I keep it pretty simple. Like I like 15 pound Seaguar braid. It's the SmackDown braid. I use both the flash green and the, the stealth gray color, just kind of dependent on the situation. Um, tie an FG knot to, uh, Seaguar tattoo fluorocarbon, either eight or ten pound is pretty much my go-to. You know, if the water's a little bit dirtier, I'd go with the ten. If it's super clear, you know, Lake Ontario, I'll drop down to the eight pound. Um, but that's pretty much it for line. I mean, I keep that simple, standard everywhere we go. Um, as far as hooks, it's it's the trocar drop shot hook. So it is uh, it's very similar to your other drop shot style hooks. I use the number four size and the trocar for the Great Lakes stuff like this. Um, so St. Clair, I do like to use a little bit bigger hook. I, I use the number two size at St. Clair just because those smallmouth are a little different breed there. They got bigger mouths, so I want a little bit bigger hook. So it's pretty much a number two or a number four trocar drop shot hook and then the epic tungsten teardrop drop shot weight from three-eighths and half ounce. You know, I really like a heavier drop shot weight just because generally I'm casting right at a fish and I want that bait to get down there to them as quick as possible. So three ace is about as light as I go on the, you know, the great lakes and smallmouth fishing three ace half. And, and now they actually have some heavier ones up to three quarter. So that, uh, that'll be for that really deep water if it's really windy, but I mean, it's a super simple setup. 
I don't really pay attention too much to leader length, just somewhere around 12 to 16 inches as far as hook the bait or hook the weight. And uh, you just put your shad shaped worm out there and, and throw it in front of some fish and, and they eat it. So, you know, I've, I've dropped the shad shaped worm into a fish tank in a swimming pool and looked at it down there. And it, it has like a unique darting action. Whenever you you know you're you're twitching your rod tip or working it a little bit, but to be totally honest, a lot of the fish eat it on the initial fall, and I've looked at it in the water. So when that thing falls straight down like a drop shot, a lot of times you, other baits want to twirl on the way down, but the shad shape swims straight, almost like a swim bait swimming down, and that little straight tail on the back kind of kicks and. It almost shimmies like it's swimming down. And I think that is a big factor in, in why it catches so many bass, especially on that initial fall. All right. All right. I uh, I like it. Um, maybe I'll have to expand my... I don't really need more tackle, but maybe I'll buy more yeah. tackle. Um, I don't think you need any help, Jody. You've been getting plenty of smallmouth doing what you're doing, so you just keep doing you. It's all a confidence thing. Uh, is that trocar hook? Because a number four is, at, like, a number four gamagatsu I feel like would be extremely tiny. Does that trocar run a little bit bigger than, like, yeah. some other hooks? Yeah. Okay. So, yes, it is, it's equivalent of the number two gamagatsu. All right, that that makes a lot of sense and, to me because I'm I'm like yeah. looking at the pictures. I'm like I can see this hook, that shouldn't be possible on at number four. Uh, so that makes yeah sense. yeah so, so we're, yeah trocar sizing runs just a little bit bigger than you know Gamagatsu or owner or whatever. So their uh, their number two is more like the number one Gamagatsu, and the number four trocar is like number two. All righty. Well, we've ended up in the weeds pretty good on this tournament. But as let's maybe transition a little more to the season-long stuff, the career-long stuff. You know, I feel like one of the turning points in this, this event was like a key largemouth you caught on, I guess it would have been day two, right, to get you into yep. the knockout round, the final round. Um, yep. What were some other, like, key points along the year? Because to win AOI, you you need to have a lot of things happen. You know, it is a season-long effort, like, absolutely. For sure. For sure. And, I mean, it's kind of a, a beneficiary. Like, definitely this event is a beneficiary of the format, the Bass Pro Tour format. So, the way the format's set up, you have two days of qualifying and then the weight zero in the knockout round and then the weights carry over to the top ten and eventually your winner. So, what I've learned this year is you don't want to have your best day of the tournament until the knockout round or the championship day. Like you want to kind of feel out and still be practicing your first two qualifying days. And you don't want to burn up all your, your best spots and burn your best fish. You kind of want to keep them in your back pocket and save them for as long as you can. So that was a, a big learning curve. And, and I kind of figured it out after, um, Lake Murray. So Lake Murray is when I really figured it out, the third event of the season, because I went straight to my best spots, caught them fast, quick, in a hurry the first two days. And then by the third day for the knockout round, you know, I'd already beat on those fish too much and, and other guys had found fresh ones and kind of were 
leaning on him. And I ended up, I mean, I had a decent event. I ended up finishing in 17th place, I think, or something like that. But still a great tournament. But I learned, you know, you kind of want to save your best stuff for later on in the tournament. So as far as key points throughout the year, I mean, obviously it was a great year. We made four top tens out of seven tournaments. We won tournament. I mean, made every knockout round but Florida. So, I, I, I mean, literally I could think of a fish in every tournament. You go back to literally the first tournament of the year, I caught a seven-pounder in, in Florida that without that fish, you know, I would have dropped a ton in the standings. You know, I, I caught big fish at, at so many events, catching a giant bag at Gunnersville. Um, I was having a horrible day up until the, that 45-minute flurry, and, and I hit the right place at the right time, and it literally totally changed my confidence and my entire week from, from then on out and just, you know, rode it to a top 10. Um, but as far as a single key fish, I mean, that that one on day two at Saginaw Bay, the 3-3 three, three large moth, I mean, that totally changed my life looking at it now. I mean, I, I had practiced for two hours for largemouth in, in Saginaw Bay, and uh, I had one little area that I got some bites. So I, I started there largemouth fishing, and, and I caught them pretty good. I mean, I had 14 and a half pounds, I think, in uh, you know just a, an hour and a half or so. I was having a lot of fun, caught a bunch of fish, and ended up staying in that area for the first two periods. But after that second period, you know, other boats had been in the area, and I'd fished through it a lot, and I just wasn't feeling it. I just felt like you know, there wasn't going to be any more fish there. So I literally just made a 10-mile a run to an area that I literally hadn't been to since pre-practice. I, I got like three bites there in pre-practice in May. So we're talking two-plus months before this tournament. It was it was a similar-looking area to where I was. There was kind of a river that dumped out, and there were some reeds there. But I had a stop sign marked on my Lawrence unit from pre-practice. So I was like, let's go over there. Maybe it'll be similar. I have no idea what we're doing and, uh, get over there. And I pull in and, and catch, uh, catch a couple small fish pretty quick and, uh, kind of fish around a little bit more and decided to turn around and fish back through the area where I got a couple bites and, and got a couple more small bites and was getting kind of frustrated, was, was planning on leaving and uh, something told me to just keep fishing around this little point a little further. So I just kept fishing around there and a uh, place I'd never seen before, just, just kind of fishing, aimlessly flipping into the reeds. And next thing I know, there's a three-pounder in the boat, and, and we're up to uh, 17th place at the time, I think, and, and caught just enough weight to slide into the knockout round. And it was a clutch fish, and, and it was a lot of weight lifted off my shoulders. And uh, – totally changed the outcome of this tournament for sure no no doubt about it no doubt um what uh at for the whole year did you have any whether it was a bait or a technique or anything that you kind of carried with you the whole season or was it truly you had to be versatile you had to do something different every time because we've seen seasons before where there's a theme to it right like where John Cox rides a Senko, or, well, in his case, a general, for, like, five top tens. And this seemed yeah. like a year where you had to do a lot of stuff. Definitely. Definitely doing a lot of different things. I mean, I've caught them on so many different baits throughout the year. It was 
really a diverse schedule, especially the first, you know, the first chunk four events. Yeah. Yeah. You know, from Florida to Douglas and Cherokee to Murray to Gunnersville. I mean, those were totally different events, but I would say the last three, the smallmouth swing, I mean, that was straight up drop shot, shad shape worm. And that's it. You know, that that's all we were throwing there. Um, and, and those ones. So, the first half, definitely a bunch of different baits, you know, crankbaits, jerkbaits, chatterbaits, worms, you name it, and so many different things in, the, in those first four. Um, but once we got to Swanwath country, I knew I knew what I was doing and what bait I was throwing, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Did uh, you, you mentioned kind of learning about the format and adapting the format. Did you learn anything else, like, as far as how to fish better this year that sticks out to you? Because I, I don't feel like, I mean, obviously you won AOI, but you didn't necessarily go into the year as the AOI favorite. I think that very likely you improved at fishing as the year went on, as you should. You know, you got to get better all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're not learning every time you go out, you, you know, you're not doing it right. So I'm always trying to learn and get better at, at fishing and everything I do and Nothing really stands out as one single thing. I mean, I definitely got better at every technique, I feel like. You know, I, I learned a lot about deep cranking on the Tennessee River, and a lot of that has to do with moving to Tennessee and being able to spend, you know, days before the Gunnersville tournament out on Chickamauga, you know, messing around with that. Learned a lot about a glide bait there as well. Um, you know, fishing the hair jig. I, I'd fished the hair jig the last couple of years, but that Tennessee River hair jig bite has become one of my favorite things to throw, and I've really learned a lot about fishing that. But, man, I mean, there's so many things, and I'm constantly learning and tweaking, and, you know, I'll always try different things and, you know, try rigging things different ways to uh, just see what works better and just constantly learning. I like it. Um, I guess what's next? Um, what are uh... – you're, you're driving to the St. Lawrence now, so you're going to catch some more smallmouth here shortly. Uh, but beyond that, like, what are, uh, what do you think 2024 looks like? What, what, what do you kind of want your goals to be? Yeah, so as far as the rest of the year, I mean, <clears throat> like you said, we're driving to uh, the St. Lawrence now. I'm, I'm trying to sneak into that Toyota Championship on Table Rock um, through the wildcard division. So I, I've fished two Toyotas so far this year and, and didn't really have the best of luck in those. So I got some work to do here at the St. Lawrence. And then if I do well in this one, I'm going to fish the Potomac River event as well and and try and sneak into that Toyota Championship just because that that's the best deal in bass fishing right there. You know, you fish three Toyota series events or four in the wild card division and uh, go to a no entry fee championship for almost $250,000. I mean, you can't beat that. So I'm always going to try and qualify for that tournament. It's such a cool tournament with all the different countries involved and, and just so much going on. I really enjoy that tournament. So I'm going to try and make that tournament every year possible. So hopefully we catch a few at the St. Lawrence here this week and, uh, get get uh, get enough points to sneak into there but other than that you know uh fishing the the major league fishing team series event 
here coming soon. That, that'll that be cool. You know, that's the made-for-TV event, so there's no live coverage on that, but that'll be released, um, I guess, next year for TV, so that'll be pretty cool. We got a good team with uh, Wesley Strader and Scott Suggs, so if nothing else, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have fun. If we don't yeah. catch any fish. We're going to have fun. Absolutely. And uh, then Brittany and I are taking a trip out west to uh, fish the U.S. Open in uh october so that'll be a fun yeah i mean it's uh it's always been a bucket list tournament so it'd be cool to you know take a week to drive out west and enjoy a little vacation and fish a tournament out there and take a week to drive back home just kind of enjoy the the trip and the process and enjoy out west so that'll be cool as far as next year i mean i am i'm antsy to see the schedule you know, as, as soon as the schedule comes out, you know, my brain starts spinning and start thinking about, you know, oh, wonder what's going to happen here. Wonder how we're going to catch them at this tournament. You know, my brain just just starts thinking about it, and I'm uh, I'm ready to see the schedule for sure. I, I heard it's going to be uh, an interesting one with a lot of new bodies of water that the Bass Pro Tour has never been to before. So that's something I'm excited about. I really like going to new places that we have no history on because you can, you can figure a little something out that not everyone knows about and, and, you know, run it for a good tournament. So I'm excited about that. But as far as goals for next year, I mean, shoot, it's pretty hard to top this year. So you kind of got to set the goals on pace with this year. And I want to hold down angler of the year again. (laughs) Well, sounds, uh, sounds good to me. Speaking of schedules, uh, do you pre-practice? I, one thing that sort of struck me is it just takes an incredible level of commitment uh, lately, it seems like, to, to be successful at that top level or to get to that top level even. Are you, how, many, how many times did you pre-practice for events this year? Was it every time? Was it just a couple of them? Was it not at all? What's, what's, your, what's your pattern for that? Yeah, so I, I did pre-practice a couple of them this year. I, I really like going to places that I've never been before. And, uh, you know, depending on, obviously, the time of year and what the tournament's technically supposed to be, you know, for instance, this, this tournament at Saginaw Bay I practiced the most for. So I, I got to spend three days here pre-practicing just because it's, one, it's such a huge body of water that I wanted to uh, just ride around and look at it and see, you know, look at the largemouth areas in pre-practice, which literally that has turned out to why I won the tournament because of that one clutch area. Um, and, you know, area, bodies of water where there's a lot of idling involved. So if it's like a brush pile lake or if, uh, you know, the Great Lake like this where you're idling, looking for rock or looking for sneaky stuff that's not really on the map, I definitely like to pre-practice just because you can, you can do all that work before official practice starts and, and have an idea of, you know, what the lake looks like, all the layout, that kind of stuff. That way when you get your two days of practice, you're not spending it idling as much. You can have a general lay of the land. So... I think I only pre-practiced two of them this year. You know, it, it kind of went along with the schedule just because I had experience on Murray, obviously, St. Clair, um, Gunnersville. We fished an event 
the fryer last year about the same time of year. So, like, I knew what to expect on all those tournaments, so I didn't really pre-practice for those. Um, so, really, the, the one I put the most work in for was this one here at Saginaw, and uh, it definitely paid off. Yeah, that's awesome. That is sweet. Uh, well, man, I guess, you know, this is one of those uh, now's your time kind of deals, but if you've got anything else, if you feel like we haven't covered anything, I am all ears. But otherwise, man, congratulations on a phenomenal win and a phenomenal season. Uh, it's really cool to uh, it's really cool to see you make it happen at this level. Yeah, it is incredible. I, I still can't believe it. I'm looking in the back seat at the trophies every couple of minutes just to make sure they're still there and it's still real. It's unbelievable, you know. Coming into this tournament, I honestly I wasn't even thinking about winning the tournament. I was truly focused on Angler of the Year just because Angler of the Year means so much to me on a personal level. Like it means you're the best throughout the entire year, from literally from Florida to New York to Michigan. I mean, all over the country, so many different bodies of water, different conditions. I mean, Angler of the Year is just the the ultimate prize for the year and. And that was my main focus, is I just wanted to stay alive for that as long as possible, stay in position. And, uh, of course, you know, Jacob and Ott also were fishing like crazy this, this week. They both made a top ten. So it was one of the most exciting Angler of the Year races in the history of the sport, as far as I know. And oh, no doubt. It was intense. To be, yeah, to come out on top, you know, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, to, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And, and this week was just that exactly. You know, I I took down the greatest of all time, Kevin Van Dam, in his final tournament to win the tournament. I mean, that that right there alone, like, that made my career right there. Just just to, to have got Van Dam in his final tournament, I mean – I hate that I kind of ruined his retirement party, but I mean, man, that was that was something that I'll hold on to forever. You know, it, throughout the day yesterday, I just kept thinking like, here we go, like Van Dam's gonna come, he, he's gonna get me, like he like he's done everyone else, like you know how many people that he's Van Dam through the years and yeah. and steal their first win, and I'm like, man, we got to make sure that doesn't happen today. So, so to get that is is really special. And then the Angler of the Year race, like you talked about, I mean, everybody caught them so good this year, and such a four. It was a four horse race into the last tournament, and we were all ten points apart. And honestly, I was the furthest one back, so I, I knew I was going to have to have a really good finish to win Angler of the Year. And I just wanted to put myself in that position, and and then it's out of my hands, you know. Obviously. Jacob would have to stumble a little bit, which he had a great tournament. I think he finished seventh or eighth place. I mean, that that is a great tournament anywhere you go, and and uh, just still got him by a couple points. I can't believe it. No doubt. I think uh, I think back in 2018, you won Rookie of the Year, um, kind of in a slightly similar fashion, where you were coming from behind, uh, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Catching big smallmouth. Yeah, yep. who'd, who'd have thought? Man. I know, that's crazy, isn't it? Guess what bait I was throwing. <laughs> Probably a shad-shaped worm. <laughs> yeah, that was a shad-shaped worm, yep. Uh, that was uh, that was pre-live scope, right? 
It was, yeah. So that was St. Clair pre-LiveScope wherever we... Uh, it was pre-LiveScope, and it was, was an incredibly heavyweight tournament. That was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I can only imagine how many were, were swimming down there. You know, I look back at that tournament, and, like, I don't know how we ever caught a bass without LiveScope, you know? Just blindly casting around at grass pumps. You don't even know if there's a fish there or not. And now... I just scanned my live scope over there. I'm like, oh, there's three of them sitting in this clump. Let's cast the that. Yeah. Well, you still managed to catch 20 pounds, 8 ounces, and then 19 pounds, 11 ounces, two days in a row, which is actually pretty good. You know, that's 20-pound bags are, you know, quality. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was... you know, it turns out, um, turns out it's all right. Here's a quote from then. Uh, I mean, look at all the past winners. They've gone on to pretty good careers in fishing. So hopefully this will help me with sponsors and allow me to make a career out of fishing. I think you might have done it, dude. Yeah, I guess we did, huh? That's, that's pretty crazy. I, I think you might have done it. That's, that's unbelievable. Um, let's see. I had one other question I realized. Did you, okay. going into the final day from an AOI perspective... Did you know exactly in your head what needed to happen from a points perspective? Or were you like, I just need to go out and catch them and then we'll find out? Or were you like, I need, need ought to be here, I need Wheeler to be here, I need to be here, and like you had yeah. everything locked in? Um, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely knew exactly what needed to happen. And, you know, I needed... So Wheeler was three points ahead of me, but he had the tiebreaker, which was best finish. So I needed to be four spots above Wheeler. And Ott was one point ahead of me, so I needed to be two spots ahead of Ott or win the tournament. So I wasn't even thinking about winning the tournament just yet. I was thinking about where I needed to be angler of the year-wise for the tiebreaker stuff. Um, or, or, you know, for the points. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I needed to be four points ahead of Wheeler because the tiebreaker is highest finish. And if I, if we tied, he would have gotten me in the tiebreaker. So I'm, I'm sitting there, okay, I need to be four points ahead of him. But then once I got the lead in the tournament, they're like, well, now your best finish is first, the same as Wheeler. So what's the next tiebreaker? The next tiebreaker was still second highest finish and Wheeler would have beat me in that so I'm like okay we got to stay four points ahead of him but at the once I was out there fishing I mean it was basically I'm just going to catch as much as I can and and, uh, just look at the leaderboard at the end of the day and see where we end up and see what happens because it's out of my control all I could do was catch as much as I can and uh you know see where they end up and it was just enough wow well uh I tell you what, man, it was awesome to see. Uh, real proud of you, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you here at the St. Lawrence in a few days, and I hope you drive safe. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>